Old School Lane Casual Chats is brought to you by OldSchoolLane.blogspot.com and is associated with Channel Frederator, Manic Expression, The Comic Book Cast, and The Araminta Show. Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? Aren't you glad you got your Nickelodeon? You watching? You watching, Nick? Aren't you glad you watching? You watching? You watching, Nick? Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of Casual Chats. I am Patricia, and I'm here with a very special guest. He's currently working on a Nickelodeon retrospective, but he also does retrospectives of other um, subjects such as Goosebumps. He's um, the founder of Pop Arena. We have Greg Stevens. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for having me. So, um, I'd love to know from you, uh, what were your earliest memories of Nickelodeon? Oh, um, well, Nickelodeon's been around since I've had memories. I am uh, uh, early 30s, so I guess I'm considered a 90s kid at this point, so... Yeah, just sitting around with a big bowl of Skittles, watching the little bits and Rugrats and uh, Double Dare and all that good stuff. Awesome. So you were just like watching whatever was like on TV at the time, like you know whatever that was like airing on Nickelodeon. Were you were you also like a PBS kid or a Cartoon Network kid or like ABC, NBC, CBS kind of kid as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Saturday morning cartoons on the networks. I was watching a lot of that. I was watching a lot of PBS, Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers. Cartoon Network, we got kind of late. I was approaching my teens at that point, so I watched less Cartoon Network and more Adult Swim. Most of that, that early Adult Swim, like Space Ghost. And getting a lot of cartoons from uh, VHS, from the library. Um, I was pretty much a media junkie as a kid. Ah, uh, yeah, pretty much same here. I I also was a bit of a media junkie as well. Uh, I, I you know there's always been like that debate about like which network had like the definitive best programs to watch. You know, some people like to watch like the really crazy cartoons. Some people like to watch the more serious cartoons, like superhero cartoons, like Batman or X Men or something like that. Um, would I, I would say that um, you know around when we were growing up as kids there was a, you know there was a lot of variety as to what a program that you wanted to check out and it would satisfy everybody. Well, you definitely weren't spoiled for choice. That is true. Yeah. Uh, I actually I, I can't speak to um, the one thing uh, that was banned in our household was superhero shows. So I actually missed the uh, the Batman train. I missed the uh, the X Men train. Uh, Made up for those much later down the line, but that was the one genre that was, like, off-limits in our house. I understand. I remember when, you know, listening to, like, various people in school as a kid, or even more recently listening to podcasts about there was a lot of controversy about how, you know, some parents would forbid their kids to watch certain programs. I knew a lot of kids who were not allowed to watch Ren and Stimpy. Mm. Now I was a, I was allowed that because Ren and Stimpy was like a, a fun cartoon show, fun animal shows like Looney Tunes, as far as my parents could perceive. Something like like in in this specific case, the the big superhero film that had just come out was uh, Batman Returns, which is a very adult, sexually charged Batman movie, and my family took that to perceive that that was also what the cartoons were. That makes sense. I mean, you know, I mean, even though that um, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini state that, you know, some of the inspirations for the animated series was the Tim Burton movies, it wasn't like that obscene, if you know what I'm saying. 
Oh yeah, no, they took some. There's some design choices, but it's it, they're very different animals. Oh, absolutely. So, as a kid, what were your favorite Nickelodeon shows growing up? Uh, while I was there for like the original Nicktoons, I was there for the big premiere of Doug and Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy. My jam was really the imported European Japanese shows like. Belle and Sebastian, The Little Bits, Noozles, David the Gnome, Maya the Bee, uh, Danger Mouse, those kind of shows. I enjoyed Doug and Rugrats and all, and Rocco's Modern Life and all of that. But I was, I leaned, I leaned more towards the uh, the the European and Japanese stuff they had airing at the time. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that um, you know, I I know a lot of people tend to cite either Dragon Ball Z or Sailor Moon as like their introduction to anime but in a sense those programs like the adventures of the little prince or um programs such as mysterious cities of gold or spartacus and the sun beneath the sea in which they had a mixture of japanese and french animation studios um, creating it um yeah for even for some people who grew up in the 80s that was kind of like their introduction if it's not astro boy or speed racer there's two levels to that i think i think there's your first anime and then there's the first anime you know is an anime because like you know when i'm six years old and i'm watching uh grimm's fairy tale adventures i have no concept of the country it came from or the uh lineage of these animation studios um dr- something like dragon ball z and sailor moon were actually like what i would consider the first animes i saw and knew them as animes that's true um but yeah definitely the case in which um you know i think that if you were not a person who were you know grew up in the 80s or um or like a nickelodeon enthusiast you most likely wouldn't know a lot about these uh programs that came from the european countries i mean sure maybe with the exception of maybe um danger mouse or count duckula because those were like the well-known ones but other shows have seemed to been a little bit more obscured over time. Even a lot of them still don't even have a DVD release. Yeah, and we're talking late 80s, early 90s, so there's no internet really to look this stuff up. Right, exactly. So the only way that you can be able to watch it is like old VHS recordings or word of mouth from your friends. So um, were there any other, were there any live action shows that you grew up with? I was pretty big into live action comedies. Uh, Clarissa explains it all. Uh, God, salute your shorts. Uh, hey, dude, uh, and definitely, definitely the Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh yeah, those shows were great as well. Um, and it's it's also interesting because you know those shows were kind of like, um, you know, their ways of trying to create shows for older kids and teenagers that were a little bit different than what you would see in programs such as Saved by the Bell or Full House or any of the TGIF programs they used to air on ABC. It um, definitely was a lot more relatable, yet at the same time it was so strange and absurd that I think that's why people still remember them. Oh, most definitely. When, when those shows came out initially, like 91, I think Hey Dude was 89, um, I was a hair under their age demographic. Uh, but they were shows I, they were the first couple of shows I wanted to aspire to grow up into. They were like, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm old enough for this, but I really want to be old enough for this. Yeah, definitely. Because a lot of these shows that, 
um, Nickelodeon was portraying at the time, there were like older kids and teenagers. They weren't like the, you know, the younger kids that much. I mean, you had, um, you know, Hey Dude was a lot more like for teenagers. So was Salute Your Shorts. Glorexo explains it all, focus on teenagers. And Pete and Pete had a mixture of kids and teenagers. So it definitely wanted you to look up to them as like, I want to be like them someday. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm actually really curious about, um, you know, what shows um, that you uh, discovered over time in your retrospective that you wish that you would have saw the first time or you were glad that you never saw as a kid because they were just so whatever. They were just so either mediocre or just like really out there that it didn't really make sense to you. <laughs> well, I I got into into the uh, the knickknacks program my, my history of nickelodeon program p partially because i have such a strong nostalgic connection with nickelodeon but also because um into my late teens and into adulthood i've uh grew grow an interest in uh in media preservation and uh media history and so i was already getting into a lot of stuff that was way before my time as for what shows i would love to see um of the original couple of years of Nickelodeon, I really want to watch a full episode of Hocus Focus with uh, with uh, Brad Williams, who was the the puppeteer, did a lot of the puppeteering work on Pinwheel, and Hocus Focus was kind of this switch around where the people behind the puppets on Pinwheel got to be in front of the camera, and the people in front of the camera got to do behind the scenes work. So it was this big kind of flip around. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they'll, I'm sure it'll pop up eventually. I remember when I was starting my, um, Nickelodeon retrospective, like six years ago, and there was like literally no episodes of Pinwheel, like none. There was only like two or three minute clips, uh, and then there was a theme song. Since then, there's been rediscoverings of VHS tapes that have like up to six hours in one, like one shot. So I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere out there, there's somebody who does have like a bunch of VHS recordings of, um, you know, Hocus Focus and various shows that you can't find anywhere else. I, I think I even, uh, I think even um, the person who wrote the um, slimed and oral history of Nickelodeon Golden Age book, Matthew Clickstein, uh, when he was interviewing people for his book, he even knew a few people who actually still held copies of the old recordings of the Nickelodeon shows from the 80s and kept it because they wanted to have it personally archived because they felt, in their opinion, the 90s was like downhill in terms of Nickelodeon because they remembered the educational aspect of what Nickelodeon was. They felt it was gone when the 90s hit. I got into uh, into tape trading into a trading television on VHS tapes back in like 97, I think, initially for a show called Mystery Science Theater 3000, where a lot of the episodes could only be uh, watched through uh, recorded and distributed uh, VHS tapes. And that kind of expanded into uh, further VHS taping. And I actually, like, before YouTube was even a thing, I had seen an episode of Pinwheel on VHS tape. So they were definitely, definitely floating around there. And I think one of the great advantages of YouTube, which is in many respects a very garbage platform, but one thing it definitely allows is far easier preservation and distribution of all these old shows. And for that, I'm immensely grateful that we even have, that we're even allowed to see 
what we have now, all the pinwheel we have now, the the clips we have now. Really, we're kind of in a golden age of this preservation. Yeah, because um, even back then, media preservation was like very. Um, very important because there will be a lot of like old film reels that would be burned up over time in storage rooms and they realize that you know hey a lot of these things can be lost over time and so they make sure that they protected them in safes and vaults i guess that's kind of like our generations of it in which if we find something on vhs we can easily digitalize it and put it up on youtube for everybody to see mm-hmm. well that's that tends to be true for about the first 30 or so years of any medium like there's we're actually dealing with issues of uh, video game preservation right now because it's still very much a new medium and nobody's really sure how to preserve uh old games especially old online games um but yeah first typically the first 30 years is that's when most of those silent films end up getting lost and destroyed that's first three years is when people don't think to preserve television shows on tape um yeah like you know uh, the first season of doctor who is pretty much lost oh yeah the first like four or six six seasons or so yeah a lot of a lot of missing material there yeah and and apparently you know i think the last i think a few years ago my friend was saying that you know, if anybody ever did have, like, a copy of the first four or six seasons of Doctor Who, then the BBC would actually give you, like, a TARDIS and a whole bunch of Doctor Who swag or something, which that just goes to show you how important it is. I would like to say if I had a time machine, I would do a bunch of noble things, but I would probably just take a VCR to, like, 1965, <laughs> just record a bunch of television. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, just preserve as much as you can right before it just pretty much just goes obsolete. I mean, even for the longest time, the 66 Batman, the only way that people could see it was on reruns right before it was released on Blu-ray. That that just goes to show you about how much preservation, you know, recording stuff on VHS or um, whatever that you have can still be um, important. Even uh, when back in college, I if I wanted to see something like... Um, uh, like a video online and if I wanted to preserve it I had to get like a a CD and I had to download the FLV file and drag it in and you can only hold so much until eventually either that's gone or um, it's just pretty much like buried into the whole internet uh, cyberspace thing I think I still have my my 25 discs collection of burned Wonder Years episodes somewhere. <laughs> so um, what has been your favorite um, subject to cover on the Nickelodeon retrospective so far? Oh, I just really enjoy uncovering a bunch of stuff people have forgotten. Um, my singular best episode, I think, was on Hocus Focus because I got to focus on the career of Brad Williams Um uh, really got to bring a spotlight to the, this these artists who may not have been appreciated in their time in these more niche uh, artistic realms. I, ju- I just generally enjoy setting the record on a lot of this material, um, uh, including fixing a lot of factual errors people have come to accept as actual Nickelodeon history. Uh, for example, very recently... Uh, it was considered common knowledge that ESPN uh, aired uh, 
aired for a few. Not, no, sorry, sorry, I'm uh, not ESPN. I had a brain fart there. Okay. BET. Yeah, BET. There, yeah. There, there was a general conception that BET aired uh, in the evenings on Nickelodeon in that spot where, like, Nick at Night now exists. But after further research, this turned out to be completely false, and it's some some fib somebody made in like 2010 that people came to accept so much as fact that you can find that information in textbooks now. There are textbooks that say that BET aired on Nickelodeon, which is just flat out not true. And I am glad that I can provide a service of correction on things like that. Yeah, that's that's really good because I mean. You know, just like the old saying goes, you know, don't always rely on stuff that you can find on the internet or even on various books that claim to be fact because there's something out there that can claim that, hey, you know, that stuff, that stuff is wrong. You know, because back then, um, you know, there used to be a case in which they would air programs such as the, the Donna Reed show and Dennis the Menace and Mr. Ed. And then the buildings of Naked Night came along when Fred Cyber put it all together. And yeah, something like the BET. I mean, I understand that MTV and VH1 alongside with Viacom was, you know, help, you know, was a part of the whole Nickelodeon lineup. But the BET doesn't really make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't seem to fit in. It just made, it's like an interesting story, but it, it, it's, it also goes along with like, also in that spot, they aired Star Channel, which became the movie channel and uh, the channel that would eventually become A&E. So it really didn't seem that far fetched, especially since it's not, it'd mostly just be like, uh, I believe it was Bible programming and movies at that time. Yeah, it's, it just goes to show you about how, you know, things that turn out to be um, that was actually fake just becomes factual over time. It's like why people have so many debates about various um, subjects over the years. It's like, is this thing correct or not? Is this thing good for you or not? So it's like we're in another an, a never ending battle of which is correct and which isn't. Well, history is uh, it, it's surprising when you realize how imprecise history can be and further back you get the less physical evidence there is for things uh the less people cared about recording uh archiving certain informations and really history is an act of storytelling in that you're given these pieces and you have to form this narrative through that and if you end up with the wrong piece in the wrong spot you're not telling a true narrative if it can be corrected, it should be corrected. Yeah, that is true, because everybody should be able to know the truth. So I'm actually um, curious about, um, you know, all the stuff that you're going to be doing next for the retrospective. Uh, what other plans do you have as soon as you're done with it? Are you going to focus on another channel or maybe um, focus on another, um, maybe a company or something? Or, you know, similar to like Goosebumps, maybe focus on another book series. You know, that is so far down the line, I haven't thought about it, because... Uh, the current plan is to go between uh, the Pinwheel House and the Loud House in that 40-year time span, which is hundreds of shows, and I've only done about 20. Right. So we're talking. We're still. We're still talking years commitment on on knickknacks. I probably won't touch another channel. I would love to see if 
other people were inspired by knickknacks if they wanted to do their own version for Cartoon Network or the Disney Channel or anything like that. I would love to see that. I'd love to see what they come up with. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Uh, um, are you gonna Are you gonna cover the movies as well? Uh, the current plan is to cover the movies in batches of like uh, maybe five or six movies at a time. So like there'll be an episode that focuses on. And I think the order is Harriet the Spy, Good Burger, the Rugrats movie, um, Snow Day? Yeah, Snow Day. R- Rugrats in Paris. And, and then Soccer. Jimmy Neutron. Uh, yeah, Jimmy Neutron. And then um, it's it's either Hey Arnold the movie or Clock Stoppers. No, it's Hey Arnold, then Clock Stoppers. Right. So I would do like a batch of those all at once. Um, and probably end up being like four or five episodes on the movies. Um, yeah, that makes sense. There's, there'll also be standalone episodes for most of the spinoff channels. There'll be an episode about TV land. Just I won't be covering all of TV land shows. There'll be episodes on Noggin, on Teen Nick, on Game and Sports, and there'll be stuff on the four Nickelodeons. And there will be an episode on Nickelodeon Studios and an episode on Nickelodeon Magazine. So uh, it's not just going to be TV. Okay. That, that, sounds, that, that sounds pretty fair. Especially since there's, like a, like you said, a 40-year history and just so many things to cover. Like, you know, you could probably talk about, like, all the, um, the programs that they used to do, like, and all the events, like the Super Toy Run and... They, you know, Nick takes over your school, and also all the other after-school programs, like You Pick Live, Slime Time Live, Nick in the Afternoon, and, you know, maybe even some people would want to see Nick Jr. and stuff like that, so I can understand why it's going to take a long time to, like, cover everything. Trust me, I, I, know, what, I know what it's like to cover, like, something so much that it just overwhelms you, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to what you have coming. Looking forward to you know, if you were ever to interview somebody or hang out with a person for a day that, you know, you, you, you watch from Nickelodeon, who would it be and why? Um, only one person. No, I mean, um, anybody, anybody, like any person. Oh, anybody. well, I mean, I, I would be immensely happy to talk to anybody involved with a Nickelodeon show uh, to just get more information. I'd love to have an afternoon with uh, Geraldine Laybourne or I'd love to have... You know, uh, I'd love to hang out at George James's house for for an evening. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much anybody. I'd, I could just like take take uh, slimed, take the book slimed. Uh, I got it right here, actually. Oh, I'm gonna open it to a ran- I'm gonna open it to a random page. I'm not gonna look at it. I'm gonna point to a random name. Raymond Zimak. Okay. So, so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> just you know just anybody really yeah that sounds good i mean why have one person when you could have all the people exactly some people are obviously easier to get a hold of than others i know that some of them have you know quit acting or they are very private people but yeah you're right that there are some of them that are very easy to get a hold of right now for the era that i'm writing for i'm writing for the uh currently knickknacks is up to uh, 1981 we're getting very close to doing the You Can't Do That on Television episode, which is going to be huge. Which means we're well into the uh, the Cy Schneider years, where Cy Schneider was running Nickelodeon. And I think Cy Schneider is still alive. And I would love to get his phone number and uh, talk to him. That'd be great. 
probably I mean, like 90 it, by this point but yeah <laughs> yeah i don't I'm, again you know these people uh they they're either living like really private lives or you know for even some of them they don't even have social media so you don't really know until um uh until you actually hear them on the news it's like you know something you know there something happened or maybe they're you know picking up a, a television or movie deal or something so yeah um hmm. that, that's why sometimes it's kind of difficult to get a hold of people especially if you want to interview them for a, a huge project like that just looking at your own videos you clearly had a lot more success in that area than i have oh no uh, that's because i've been doing it for a long time you just started so <laughs> i'm sure that as time goes on then you know you'll probably you know have uh, a ton of people on your show so it's it's all a matter of like years of experience and perseverance um you know perseverance and just you know never giving up and also if a person is not interested in having you as a guest then trust me you don't want that i remember i'm not going to say the person's name but i remember one time in which i wanted to get a person on um uh, as an interview for a blog because we used to do blog interviews before we did podcasts and mm -hmm. this person was very very snooty and they were saying do you know how long it took for me to type on this um, email let alone me answering your questions and so we were like okay um that's fine we don't have you we, we don't we're, thank you for your you know your time we, we will not be you know, pushing you to answer any of our questions. And then uh, when we met up with another person who knew the person that we were going to interview, uh, this person was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that person's a grouch. I have no idea why this person would act like that, even though that he works on a program that's for kids, little kids, and he's like this grouchy person. It's like, yeah, it's crazy sometimes, you know, just yeah. even though that. You know, you, you think that a person who's working on a particular show that's for kids would turn out to be kind of like nasty at times. It's it's pretty interesting, you know, but for the most part, um, a lot of the people are have been really nice and supportive. And it's not just for me that they, you know, also for the people who've been interviewed on Slimed and there's the Orange Years, which is a documentary coming up. And uh, there's the Ren and Snippy documentary that's coming up. So, yeah, um, most of the people have been really sweet and supportive and are willing to share their stories. That's awesome. The uh, one interview I have managed to grab, uh, which is not necessarily knickknacks related, except now it is. Um, before I did knickknacks, before I did pretty much anything else, I had a series of uh, YouTube reviews for the Animorph series by Kay Applegate, and that included uh, an episode-by-episode -episode guide of the Animorphs television show that aired on Nickelodeon, uh, which is kind of a kind of a precursor to what I'm doing now. Here's for that show, Ron Oliver. Really, you got a hold of Ron Oliver? Yeah, this was back in 2011. Very, very positive experience. Um, really happenstance. I just like asked. I basically asked on his IMDb uh, uh, message board back when IMDb had message boards and yeah, things just kind of fell into place. And it's the only, it's the only, uh, show business interview I've managed to create, but it was a very positive experience. That's great. You know, it's kind of funny because, um, the other day I saw somebody, uh, tweeting about how, 
You know, the old saying goes that you should never meet your heroes. Well, that's completely wrong because you want to be able to look at what they did and, you know, try to see if you can be able to, you know, to put your own spin on it and try to see of how far that you can come with your own skills. And, you know, not to mention that a lot of the people who are on the industry are very nice and are willing to take the time to you know, answer whatever question that you have, because they see, you know, they, they went through the same thing and they're willing to, you know, help uh, a person out who looked up to them very similar to if they were to ask a question to a person that they looked up to. So it's like passing the torch. It's not. It, yeah, you're right. It's not don't meet your heroes. Uh, in some cases, it's just be prepared to be disappointed by your heroes sometimes. Yeah, and also, if you are to have a case in which you do, be sure to remember that they're human beings and they're just like any other person. I remember um, an interview that Mark Summers did in which he talked about how when he was 15 years old, he had the opportunity to meet up with Johnny Carson, and um, he interviewed him for something, and he was a huge fan of Johnny Carson, and he was, like, really nervous and stuttering and stuff like that, and it, and he learned a very important lesson about, you know, it's okay to be nervous the first time, but if you keep doing that, nobody's going to treat you seriously. You just have to remember that um, just be yourself. You don't have to worry about what, um, you know, they think of you. Just keep a calm and professional matter and know that they're they're just like you and me they're they're normal people just because they're more well known on tv doesn't really amount to anything it's good advice yeah it's really good advice and you know um i i was able to take it to heart and um you know same thing with you in which when you interviewed ron oliver i'm sure that you did the same thing in which you kept a calm and professional matter asking him questions and you just treated him like a normal person yeah that, that was pretty important because especially because I was interviewing specifically about the Anna television show, which the Anna fandom generally do not like. Oh, yeah. I, um, I, I, my, my friend Jashi Kins, who reviews Animorphs on her blog, she really doesn't like the TV series. And it's fine to have that opinion, but I could imagine um, a lesser person trying to like get a one-up on this guy who worked on the show which don't do that yeah really don't do that just because they worked on a show that didn't turn out as well as you wanted it to doesn't mean that they were heavily and you know responsible for it um you know just a few weeks ago uh we had mike reese on the show one of the former writers of the simpsons and yeah, he worked on a show called Homeboys from Outer Space alongside with a whole bunch of other writers. And he said that while that was the, one of the worst shows that he ever worked on, the experience that he had with working with those people was a great um, was a great time. And a lot of the writers, you know, went off to do other shows like Family Guy. So just because that a person worked on a show that was deemed terrible or that you personally didn't like doesn't mean that that person is terrible. Uh, which I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people can, you know, should take note of, especially with everything that's going on. I'm looking at you, Star Wars fans. But nonetheless, uh, I think that, you know, a person is, you know, it's it's a job is a job and it should be treated as such. And it, they should be respected, even though that something that they worked on, you didn't like, uh, you know, you just have to understand that they're just doing it. And I'm sure that they had a good time doing it. So, you know, just, you know, I'm sure that, and whatever that they do next, I'm sure it'll be better. So just move on. Yeah. And that that is a personal philosophy with what I'm doing with knickknacks in terms of because I am 
very critical on a lot of these shows. I am not, I don't really approach any of them with kids' gloves. Um, but it is important to make a distinction between being critical of the art versus being critical of the artist. It's really not necessary to be mean to the artist um, unless unless they are genuinely uh, a monster. It, it's important to just make sure all frustrations you might have with a program is directed at the program, is directed at the art and not necessarily the artist. Yeah, although sometimes they don't take it to heart, especially those people who really um, think that what you're saying is wrong and then they send you death threats. Yeah, don't do death threats. Yeah, trust me, I've gotten a lot of it over the years, and it's not fun. And mm. I'm sure that you've gotten your fair share of complaints and criticisms, and you didn't like that either. There's complaints and criticisms, and then there's there's the people who call you an SJW cuck and all that stuff. Oh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's no it's it that's at this point that's kind of water off a duck's back you can't take those people remotely seriously i guess we can move on to something else okay <laughs> trust me I, I i tend to like i don't know for some reason whenever i'm doing you know interviews it tends to like you know talk about like negative things over time and trust me the candy milo podcast mm-hmm. is like a roller coaster of emotions Anyway, so moving on. So Goosebumps, I'm actually interested about your history of Goosebumps because uh, my co-host and I, we have a long history of Goosebumps. Uh, when we were kids, we used to buy the books from the Scholastic Book Fair in our in our schools, and also uh, we watched the TV series as well. So, uh, what made your what what was what were your interest? Uh, what was your history behind Goosebumps? I was too good for it as a kid. I didn't want to deal with it at all um genuinely i don't have a history with it i was doing the animorph videos a lot of animorph fans are you know they're scholastic it's scholastic so there's a lot of crossover fans between animorphs and goosebumps and people were asking me like could you do could you do goosebumps stuff too and it's like i didn't really read it as a kid i don't really have the affection for it as i do for animorphs but eventually I threw him a bone and started doing these uh, Halloween videos where I would let them vote on which Goosebumps book I review, and uh, I review that. I realized those were some of my most popular videos on the channel, so uh, in, a, uh, in an act of corporate greed, I turned this yearly series into a monthly series, and that's how I got to be doing Goosebumps reviews. <laughs> Interesting story. I've I've actually never heard of uh, of a case in which you know something that you were just like doing it in the sake of oh I'll just do it because the fans asked me and then it becomes like a huge phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> it's it's just crazy sometimes about like you know uh, you you never know what could happen. Yeah, and I'm upfront about this from the video. This is these are Goosebumps reviews from the perspective of someone who was never a fan of Goosebumps growing up. <laughs> who never read them as a kid who, who I, I read two goosebumps books before 2010 i seen maybe four episodes of the tv show before then it just was never my jam but i figure at the very least i can offer a unique perspective sure of, of, a, of, a, of a of a not of someone who is not a fan of the series talking about it and i try to be fair with it I mean that's all you but can it's be, still, right? it, but it, 
it's it's still not my thing, but I I try to be fair with it. Hey, that's all you can be, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I only have a few more questions right before we wrap things up. So, um, with the surge of, uh, you know, 90s nostalgia and all the TV movies and continuations of various uh, Nickelodeon properties, um, which one would you like to see come back, either as a TV movie or in a novel very similar to um, Things I Can't Explain? Uh, the, the the continuation of Clarissa Explains It All. So currently, as of right now, uh, we're getting the Rocco's Modern Life, Static Cling, there's the Invader Zim TV movie, and there's the Are You Afraid of the Dark TV movie. What would you like to see come back? Oh, and uh, oh, and also there's the re- and the new episodes of Double Dare. Right. Mm. That is a good question. With Nickelodeon's 40th, well, depending on how you count it, Nickelodeon's 40th anniversary coming up next year, I don't know if I want to see new content, but I would like to see some maybe like a 40 days, 40 years of Nickelodeon where like each day focuses on a year. So like you get a day of like pinwheel and then a day of you can't do that on television and then a day of the third eye. As for bringing something back in new content, you could probably make a decent secret world of Alex Mack where they're in their 30s and and dealing with well, that's a, that's the problem with with like bringing a lot of this stuff back is that they're all grown up and Nickelodeon doesn't make content about grown ups. Their dramas, their comedies, their animation that's all about children to young adults. So while I I could write a really good the return of Alex Mack script in my head, I don't think he would necessarily be in line with the Nickelodeon ethos. Maybe just bring back Guts. Okay. I mean, <laughs> they did try to bring back Guts 10 years ago, if you remember. My family's got Guts. But, hey, you know, mm-hmm. third time's the charm? I mean, this Double Dare game show's okay. That Legend of the Hidden Temple movie sucked. But... <laughs> Or Finders Keepers? Nobody talks about Finders Keepers anymore. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I, I personally think that the, um, that the syndicated version was a little bit better. Maybe because I think that it was less complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. Game shows are game shows are so much easier to just bring back because you don't have to change too much. And there's always going to be kids to participate in with. Yeah, until uh, that's to Wild and Crazy Kids 2002 and My Family's Got Guts. In which they they try to change the formula and it sucked. I think the one Nickelodeon game show that wouldn't be timeless is Nick Arcade for obvious reasons. Yeah, that's true. I I mean they can I mean I know that you know they've tried to do a Kickstarter for that twice. One with nth the level and the other one where it's um um, um you know like a Kickstarter towards like a reboot of Nick Arcade uh, that I think that so far Phil is trying out in conventions. But yeah, that's really difficult to try to do that because Nick Arcade um, you know, you had the video games and it relied on a lot of points. Like, when was the last time that you played a video game where you had to have a high score in order for you to continue off to the next level? Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult. I mean, unless they try indie games, like, uh, you know, if you have, like, various points on Shovel Knight or maybe um, maybe you can do, um, you know, Castle Crashers or something like that. Yeah, it, it's going to be a little bit difficult. But I would I still love to see that. Yeah. 
but yeah i mean i think that guts would work because you know we have um uh you know american ninja warrior and that's becoming really popular so maybe have a kid version of that or um, yeah there you go yeah and the, let's see they already did figure it out i do not want to see Euron. i definitely don't want to see Euron. uh security <laughs> camp never really got a chance i would love to see them try to attempt that again and um let's see uh, I, I really liked Brain Surge. I, I'm, I, it's a shame that that show never really caught on. You know what I would do? Here, here's here's a deep pull. I would bring back Whack, the Nickelodeon wrestling show that aired for one episode. <laughs> yeah, right. In this PC uh, world, oh my god, that would. That I would. would <laughs> that would be canceled would, would, like at the just, first commercial. It, it's it's. Just professional wrestling with people in sports mascot costumes. I think it could work still. I mean, we have I Lucha could... Underground, so why not? Yeah, just just Kitty Lucha Underground. There you go. Uh, final question. I, I know we're going all over the place. I'm sorry. So that's no, okay. Uh, I'm apologizing to the audience, uh, to anybody who's listening. Anyway, so final question. Uh, with Nickelodeon celebrating its you know, 40th anniversary next year, um, what do you see the legacy of it as a whole? Nickelodeon was a trailblazer. It was a trendsetter. It provided the model for children's television that has stuck around. Saturday morning cartoons, they're gone. Uh, in their stead are Nickelodeon, the Disney Channel, Cartoon Network, and those latter two could not have been what they are or were without Nickelodeon. I think it's had its good moments, it's had its low moments, but it has always been the example the rest of television looks to. And I think that's why it's important to look at the history of Nickelodeon and why it's important to understand the history of Nickelodeon because what Nickelodeon was doing at any given time, everyone else in the industry was looking at that. And they were deciding, we should do that, or we should do a better version of that, or, oh man, we shouldn't do that. I think it's probably in the top three most important, most historically important cable channels um, up there with like HBO and CNN. All right, well... That's, uh, that's very interesting to hear. I guess that we can um, conclude this episode of Casual Chats. So, Greg, once again, thank you so much for coming on by. Thank you for having me. So, um, please, I know that we've already t- you know promoted Knickknacks a few times, but please pr- uh, plug the rest of your stuff. Yeah, uh, Knickknacks you can find on my channel called uh, Pop Arena. That is my personal brand where all my stuff uh, can be found. Um, uh, there's knickknacks the history of nickelodeon there's the goosebumps monthly which is uh monthly reviews of goosebumps obviously i also do uh reviews of doctor who uh novels um along with uh just a bunch of random things that people request i have a request system open so sometimes i'm talking about anime sometimes i'm talking about uh other books sometimes i'm talking about movies so there's probably something there that will interest you uh so that's uh Paparina. All right. And uh, by the time that this episode is coming out, I should be having uh, another episode of Casual Chats uploaded. And uh, I'm still working on a few video scripts. I can't really say too much about it, but I'm hoping that when the time is right, it'll be coming out. 
And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Let us know in the comments below about how did you first get introduced to Paparina's work, whether it be uh, Knickknacks or Goosebumps Monthly or any of the Doctor Who stuff or Animorphs. And um, also, if you have any interest in, um, you know, things for him to review, then um, I'm sure that maybe sometime he'll take a look into it. So that's it, everybody. Hope to see you around soon. And be sure to tune in in 2059 when there's going to be a remake of Kids Court. See you then. On the Lord of Hibernick. On the Lord of Hibernick. On the Ricky Tiggy Low while living number one Nickelodeon.